Hello, Nevadans. This is the NV Politics Podcast, where we discuss local political hot topics in the state of Nevada to keep you informed on what's going on. We're your hosts. I'm Dominique Labonte. And I'm Tim Hannafin. And we are recording this episode of NV Politics on March 30th, 2023. So let's get into it. Okay, Tim, here we are. Another week, another episode, and we've got a couple of cool things to talk about today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, been an in- it's also been an interesting day. We can't start the, the <laughs> podcast off without... Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, mean, my goodness. On. How did I not? Come please, on. Please. All right. I will give you the honor. We finally arrested that screaming orange guy from YouTube, put him in jail. <laughs> Is that what happened? Well, that's, I that's mean, what we did, the, right? not quite, not quite fully. <laughs> Wait, so the, so the orange is still, oh no, yeah, I guess he's, yeah, just indicted, yes. but hey, we've got an indictment, we'll see what that entails, first of its kind, and ironically enough, my favorite was when a coworker asked the follow-up question of, oh, well, who indicted him? It wasn't even just the matter of like, yes, he's been indicted, but it was which party has indicted him because he's in investigations <laughs> for a couple different things in a couple different areas. That's funny. So no, it's that's a valid a, question. That's a to great. Think about. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> which one? Yeah, which, which one actually uh, hit it first? Which jurisdiction was today? Wow. Yeah. So the what is the New York grand yes. jury, right? Yep, New, New York, York for um, his relation to the hush money cabal that happened or whatever it was with Stormy Daniels. That's correct. Yes, yes. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, who knows? But it is one next step in that world, which is Trump. So... That happened today. Yeah, it's March It's a small 30th. step for a man with small hands. <laughs> it's something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to talk about really just two topics, one more in depth uh, than the other. And of course, we're going to have our segment of what broke our brains, which I'm looking forward to getting into. So uh, the bulk of our conversation is going to be around the topic of restorative justice in Nevada schools. There's some... Um, Uh, legislation popping up around that. Uh, But first, we're actually going to just briefly talk about the wrap-up of the bill introductions part of the legislative sessions that just ended on Monday. It was the last day. Sounds like it was pretty crazy. Uh, And to your point, Tim, I think the last time we talked about this, um, we were talking about the extension that they had, right? Yeah. That, to yes, get the rest of this week. in. That's correct. And so, yeah, the Nevada Independent, they shared an article on the 27th and they talked about how it all wrapped up on Monday. They tried to capture, they did kind of like a live feed of the day, which was pretty cool. It sounds like the total number of bills and resolutions this session to be introduced was more than 900. I did not have an opportunity to compare that to previous sessions. I'm curious kind of where that stands. It feels like a lot. It is. It is. I'm just going to chime in and say it is. Um, yeah, because we have, we had about 
1,200 requests put forward for legislation prior to it becoming read in on this deadline. Mm -hmm. So knowing, and this is from my memory, but knowing that we've got about 900 through, that's, oh God, like a 75% introduction rate. Mm -hmm. From my remembrance in the past, it's only been about a 50 to 60% pass where we'd only see about six or 700 get through. So I think we've seen, we're seeing more this time. Um, I mean, with that, and we'll probably get into this more, some of them are definitely bills to say, look at what I put forward and they didn't pass. Uh, right. Definitely to rally. Up I tried. Troops, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, we've, er, there are a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, the uh, the article that I am referencing from the Nevada Independent, they list quite a few of the bills that went through both the Senate and the Assembly and some really high-level recaps. And I think, you know, there are a couple of them that I was like, eh, okay, whatever, like some, some more legislation. But then there are some things that I'm like, okay, this one, I hope, I hope this... Passes. I could be wrong with some of these numbers, but in a one-sided government, we passed, I want to say it was like 400 wow. of the 600, or it might have been like 300 of the 600. It was a substantial amount. I but guess that would make sense with the supermajority. Exactly. That's when all sides of the government are in alignment. That's right. We now have you know, a legislature that is not in political alignment with our governor Yeah. in, I hate to say it, but any way, shape or form. So a lot of what might pass those two houses will get to him and it's immediately on the negotiating table because he's going to say, well, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want that. Like if you Mm -hmm. pass this, I'm not going to be in there. It was, I don't know why it was so unprecedented. So I don't know why it was so reported, but him going down to talk about one of his bills and testify for his stance on the bill is not something that's common for a governor to do. And yet we're seeing that, which means that there is more, I don't want to say it's reaching across the aisle and a willingness to work, but there's at least a recognition of like, Hey, I have to step outside the norm to get some work done. So. Yeah. I mean, cause Previously, right, our governor was also a Democrat and so probably didn't need to go to the floor to petition, you know, the bills that he wanted. Uh, it was probably a, a lot more, Yeah, uh, it was easier to, to get things pushed through. So speaking of which, since you brought up the governor already, let's, I would love to just reference the SP. B431, which is an omnibus uh, bill that he is trying to push through. The government overhaul bill. That's, That's at least right. what my notes 185 have it as. pages that proposes a series of sweeping changes to state government, including the establishment of cabinet level secretaries and a state chief innovation officer. Curious to know what that is. The replacement of the Department of Employment Training and Rehabilitation with the Department of Workforce and the creation of the Nevada Way account, which Lombardo proposed during his State of the State address. So that's just a couple things that are in this giant bill. My initial thoughts of this are like, okay, so... Sheriff Governor wants more power. That's kind of what that reads as. Mm -hmm. Like just, you know, oh, let's get, you know, 
why do we need cabinet-level secretaries in our state when we have a legislature that meets every two freaking years? <laughs> let's let's fix our ledge before we're trying to get, like, cabinet-level, like, oh, we need a transportation secretary. Well, no, because the transportation needs of Clark County are vastly different from the transportation needs of the rest of the state. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you that that person will focus almost all on Clark County because that's where all of our government has been focused and operated out of for the past, oh, I don't know, five years in our state. Sure, yeah. I'm not angry at all (laughs) in Northern Nevada, you know, where the capital actually is. Mm -hmm, And yet mm -hmm. our former governor didn't even want to come for his own event. Sorry, I I digress (laughs) on that one. That's all good. There was there was another bill that is coming from Lombardo's office, SB 412, which apparently it says here it includes a bevy of crime and criminal justice provisions that emerged from the governor's 2022 campaign, including rolling back elements of the Democrat-backed 2019 criminal justice reform bill, AB 236, and increasing penalties for fentanyl-related drug crimes. So this this bill, to me, feels and sounds a lot like the one that we're going to talk a little bit more around um, restorative justice, so I won't jump the gun on that. But I see you, Sheriff. I see you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, they're making fentanyl worse. I This is going to be a reoccurring theme that I think we're seeing more and more and more in our government, but there is a refusal to address the leak in the piping system and instead only wanting to refuse or like only wanting to mop up the puddle that's forming underneath and saying, no, 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 as long as we're just mopping up the puddle and we have wet floor sign, like we're fine. But it's, it's like, okay, but can we also maybe solve the leak? That's right. Like, why are we not addressing the leak? I mean, I, fentanyl is a very large problem and especially for our law enforcement, it's a very large concern because of the exposure to concentration ratio and how you can be exposed to fentanyl and how, you know, I'm not advising you go out and you grab things like heroin or methamphetamine, but they're not as absorbed as readily through skin contact as things like fentanyl. It's just a more potent opioid. But at the same time, why are we not addressing the companies that made the thing? Like (laughs) we have this opioid crisis and we just charge these companies pennies on their dollars that they're making for these drugs in this overall crisis. And Nevada's getting oodles and oodles of money for it for the, from these companies in these opioid settlements, but it's not enough because they're still making these drugs. They're still allowing mm-hmm. it to happen. And yes, now it's, and it might've transitioned money off of yeah, these they're, drugs. It, they're still making money. There might be a illegal third party market that exists, but where does the third party market come from except, but from a, certified pharmaceutical laboratory that discovers it and says, oh, damn, this is pretty potent. This ain't too good. Mm -hmm. I think we're not doing enough to address the root causes of some of these problems. And we're instead just trying to criminalize the common person for a lot of these problems. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm going to end up going off on a tangent. So I'm going to stop myself. I'm in alignment with you there. We need to stop being so reactive and get a little bit more proactive with our approach with some of these things. There were really just two other ones that I saw bills that were kind of of interest to me. So SB 432, which would essentially move portion of tax proceeds from Tesla 
from Story County to the state. So that original 2014 tax abatement that they got, I guess it is set to expire at some point here in the near future. And so they're attempting to try to reroute some of those tax proceeds and just put them back into the state and also Washoe County, since that's where most of the employees at Tesla actually reside, rather than filtering through Story County. I'm interested to see what comes of that. I thought that was kind of interesting. The only other bill that I was like, hmm, Uh, That's interesting is SB 383, which is the attempt to break up Clark County School District. There's a whole thing where they attempted to get a bunch of signatures and try to push this through, but it kind of fell through. I have, you know, a little bit of a background information around why the results are very unlikely. So uh, my understanding is... The intention, the intention to break up the Clark County School District is because they want to create a better experience. It's, it's a lot of parents and uh, interest groups who are trying to do this. No, let, let's, just, let's just say it as it is. It's the fifth largest school district yep. in the nation yep. in the state with the worst education in the nation. There is a correlative difference there. Yes, so... What, what you have are people who are desperate. They want a better education system for their, their kids. And they're saying, break me off of this, this um, dysfunctional system. Let us try to have a smaller thing that we can make better and improve so that my child, our children, our community here, this little space actually has a better shot at this quality of education yeah, thing. I'm, I'm told from everyone who's ever from Vegas, because I'm not from Vegas at all, <laughs> but apparently Summerlin is different from Henderson and it's different from the Strip and it's different from like North Las Vegas. I, to me... He, as a northerner, it's all <laughs> Vegas, okay? But apparently, y'all think, quote unquote, think, I hope there's some sarcasm that's coming through here, that, you know, it's, it's a large area, I guess. It is. It is a large area. Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's still all the same county, okay? It, we're all still one big area. But the reason this will not work is because it actually, because it is the fifth largest, because it is a large school district, the low-income neighborhoods who don't get a lot of funding through property taxes, um, they actually are apportioned funding from other parts of the district. And so when you break up something like this that is so big, those who are already... Um, facing disparity yep. of income inequality. The worse of, get it worse. Yes, they get worse. It makes it worse. And so this, uh, personally, that's my, my thought on this. is It's a, a bad move. I'm hoping that this bill does not get very far. I understand its intentions, but... It's very selfish. We can look at the the problems and we can take the problems and take two routes, which is one, the bill, which Mm -hmm. is saying, hey, we've got one of the largest school districts that it's very hard to manage and make sure that we can give localized solutions that are needed to localized areas with such a large machine being run. 
in a mm-hmm. state that is drastically underfunded and drastically mm-hmm. underfunds our overall education system. We need yes. to break it up to make sure that we are, uh, to quote some tech people, min-maxing our education spend. Like, we need to get small groups so that we can give them, you know, the most money and they can do the most with that money. But we're at a point now where the other solution would be we use this as the motivator to propel the whole state forward and say, okay, our state houses one of the largest school districts in the nation, and we're not doing well in education. Why aren't we, why aren't we pushing our bar forward everywhere? Why aren't we getting right. more money for our education system? Yes. Why aren't we overall trying to figure out how we can get more funding and more schools and better teachers to stay in our larger districts so it's mm-hmm. not a problem? We have, to, we have to look at the min-maxing in two ways, and I don't agree with breaking up the school district either, but mm-hmm. that's because I agree with the other one of saying, well, no. Oh, we need to improve our education system mm-hmm. as full because mm-hmm. as is, as someone from Northern Nevada, Clark County education system is the largest ba- brain drain our state has. <laughs> like it, it, it's just, it's the reality. They, yeah. they draw our great athletes. They draw our great like intellectuals all because they have such great feeder schools. There are two or three feeder schools that exist in Northern Nevada and they're both in Washoe County. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get to those, but there are 3 million people in Clark County. There Mm -hmm. are how many feeder schools down there? Like, yes, it's a small town versus large town thing, but bring everyone up. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm good with that too. I think that makes sense. Either way, I just, yeah, breaking it up, I don't think is the the right solution here. So those are the ones that really stuck out to me as far as wrapping up this bill introductory session. Uh, anything else that you wanted to to chat about, Tim, before we move on? I'm, I'm glad you talked the Gansert bill because that one's, it's interesting. I, I don't think it will pass. I think Story County deserves all of that money. Um, simply because I've driven through Story County and I've driven through Washoe and like, oh yeah, Washoe's had some problems with the people moving here, but it's really just our houses cost more. Mm. Story County literally has pipes that need to get replaced and can't sure. get replaced in their physical town. Like they, they need the money more. I, it, a Washoe assembly person has put forward a bill to try and get Washoe County more money. <laughs> it makes sense, but it doesn't. Hey, hey, like we said earlier, it's, I tried. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's a bunch of just saber rattling. Like, I, I, I did it. <laughs> yeah, look what I tried to do, everybody. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Tim, last week, you asked a question to our guest, Miss Mrs. Valentine, who is an educator in Nevada, about behavioral issues you were hearing about in our school systems and what the process has been in dealing with them. And from what it sounded like from her, the teachers are expected to deal with these things, quote unquote, as they do, right? It seemed like they need to figure out the problem and deal with it. Find find a solution in the classroom. And That's right. Do that, yep. But as we heard there are so many variables contributing to some of these behavioral issues. Uh, This past week, there was an article published by the RGJ in regards to Governor Lombardo targeting restorative justice policies in schools, and lawmakers were pretty upset about it. And so today we figured we can break down what restorative justice programs are and how Nevada is currently using them or not using them. And why our governor is targeting them uh, and then why it's upsetting 
the lawmakers. So we're going to jump into that. And I'm just going to kick us off by explaining what restorative justice is. According to nextgenlearning.org, restorative practices or restorative justice, uh, these practices offer schools an alternative to traditional disciplinary actions that center on punishment for misbehavior and breaking rules. These punishments push kids disproportionately, students of color and low-income students, out of their classroom and school community. They may be suspended or simply sent to the principal's office, but students who are pushed out may drop out of school altogether. In contrast, restorative practices focus on resolving conflict, repairing harm, and healing relationships. They support a positive and safe school climate, prevent bullying, and reduce disciplinary incidents. A restorative culture can mitigate the negative effects of punitive discipline policies that exacerbate inequality. So really, uh, the way I was looking at this, these restorative practices, they are tools, right? Earlier we were talking about being proactive instead of reactive. This is the proactive stuff that uh, teachers, in this case, are attempting to equip their students with in problem solving, specifically around behavioral issues. And so um, real quick, in California, um, one of the schools tried this in Oakland. They were one of the first. It was a failing middle school apparently in 2006. And within three years, the pilot school, they saw an 87% decrease in suspensions with a corresponding decrease in violence. And apparently the practice was so successful that in 2011, they made restorative justice the new model for handling disciplinary problems. So that's a little background on restorative justice in education. Uh, And now let's get into what does this mean for Nevada? Some of the things that we want to at least make sure that we highlight is with what he's trying to solve is he's trying to solve the fact of students can't be removed from a classroom. So if there is a violent outburst in a classroom or in a school setting, because I don't believe it's just defined to the classroom, but we're seeing an increased amount in the classroom. So I'm using that as kind of the gauge. But in general, restorative policies are viewed by our governor and by those who are a proponent for this bill as practices in which disallow for the removal of a student from the classroom. Mm -hmm. And it disallows from the removal of a problematic person from that environment. Mm -hmm. And In certain certain situations, right? Like there are still large behavioral incidents that could occur that you would have um, the authority to remove a student from a classroom. But they're very extreme situations. Yeah, I was about to say yes, but from my understanding, it is very extreme. Yes. I like don't, you brought a gun to school. Yeah. I, <laughs> a violent outburst, a fight that were to break out into a classroom would not warrant a student removal. Right. Now, I had a lot of thoughts when I was reading this and, and you know, just to kind of speak broadly for what our educators who are our legislatures are saying about it. They view it as a way of just enabling the removal of students from an education setting and not too productive moving forward. Okay, so here's what I learned. Assembly Bill 168, uh, it was restorative justice law that was rolled out and passed in 2019. Uh, The problem with it was that the pandemic hit right after. And so apparently even 
after yep. funding. I mean, a- apparently the American Rescue Plan Act provided funding for this, uh, this restorative justice law. And the teachers were supposed to go through training. Uh, and it never happened because yep. the pandemic happened. And so Lombardo... His response, because there is a bunch of behavioral issues happening, is that, well, that isn't working, so we're going to repeal that, and we're going to go back to being able to discipline students again. But the reality is it it wasn't actually being used or leveraged properly because the, the official training didn't take place. Correct. Correct. And it's that was something important that uh, one of our one of our legislatures, I don't know if she's a prior educator, but Angie Taylor specifically yes. referenced was the fact that like, hey, this was never fully implemented. Yeah. And it's a two-edged, it's a two-sided coin for me because the ability to remove a student from a classroom might be important, but a, the ability to remove a student from the school setting altogether is where it becomes, okay, it needs to be restorative. It needs to be rehabilitative. So a removal from the school outright is not a way to do that. Right. I can think of instances in my middle school and high school experience where non-restorative justice was used in not balanced ways and certain individuals in that instance were rewarded, not punished because of how it played out. I can think of other instances where restorative justice was used and it was opted to say, oh no, let's do restorative justice simply because of the person who was in trouble, where all guidance said, no, this person needs to be removed from school. Like Mm. they need to not be like, they need to have a hard, you don't get to come to school for a couple days. And instead they got like a little slap and their record was sealed or something like that. Mm. And I'm like, no, you, you, you cheated on a, on a senior test, like (laughs) have some, like I, I have a fraternity brother who can't go to med school because of some actions he did in college because of intellectual and, or academic integrity. And yet, mm. oh yeah, this person got like a slap on the wrist and they were fine because of who they were. But then on the flip side, restorative justice isn't the, it's not the end all be all, but it's sure. definitely an answer yeah. because I don't want to use either of those as a means of saying, no, we need to go back and we need to remove students altogether because... And I don't know why this came up to me, but this is where I stuck with. It was a speech I gave in high school, speech and debate, and it was specifically on we need to ban the sale or like we need to, God, I don't even remember what the prompt was, but it had something to do with guns in the classroom because there was a recent school shooting. It was in 2013 or 2012. I hate to say that I have to specify that because now there have been so many. It's like, oh, no, it was a recent one back then. Mm -hmm. Far and few between. And the main topic of my speech was there isn't an answer, but something has to be done. Because in the status quo where nothing is happening and we just have punitive discipline, students can show up to school and do a bad action. And the only thing that saves them is, or that saves one of their classmates is the good grace of said classmate or, you know, an, an angel of grace. There are stories of Columbine of one student being saved because he gave answers to a math test to one of the shooters. Like, and it, it's crazy to think of, but like that saved his life because it was just compassion that he showed to a fellow student. We have to teach our kids compassion. We have to teach them rehabilitative 
instances. Yeah. On the same time, if someone brings a knife to school, like it's, God, it's a 50-50 because half the ranchers my senior year brought knives to school because they were working their ranch job in the morning and it was easier for them to just leave it in their pocket than it was for them to remember to put it in their truck because guess what? It was still coming to school. They're mm-hmm. not going home between the ranch job and school, but... Like it, and I don't want to use that as justification for it all, but we can't have fights openly happening in classrooms. We can't have these instances where students are actively pulling weapons in threatening ways in these classrooms. There has to be some form of punishment for that. There has to be a more than a slap on the wrist. There has to be a removal. Maybe it's not an expulsion because an expulsion mm-hmm. can be net negative for these students, but mm-hmm. we have to be doing something. We have to be doing restorative justice and punitive justice. We have to be sure. doing both. There's there's not a perfect balance and there's never a an end-all be-all, but we have to at least be doing doing both, trying yeah. both. We can't yeah, abandon can't one because it doesn't. Or yeah. the other, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I read that there were various members of the Clark County Education Association, which is like the ne- Nevada's largest teachers union. They testified. Uh, which would then be the nation's probably fifth largest teachers union right maybe. yeah 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 <laughs> just gonna point uh, that out <laughs> yes they testified in favor of lombardo's repeal of this and um because they're so concerned with to your point the increase of violence at school um yeah. apparently just last year in the school year there were 90 cases of use of force um, by school police which yep. included the use of pepper spray 52 times and then you know it's uncovered that it was just like oh well our inexperienced offers uh, officers they use more force and so you know i'm like well why are we putting the inexperienced officers in school right so there's there's little problems yeah. kind of everywhere in i don't know an officer is an officer all goes through the same training like if an if a police officer doesn't know when to not use excessive force when children are involved, do they need to be a police officer? I, that's my question, but I'm also coming yeah. from school districts where the police on campus were licensed and police officers from the local mm-hmm. police mm-hmm. on retainer, not necessarily mm. like separate police officers that are hired and like in a school, like they are... In my high school, it was a Douglas County Sheriff officer who was Mm -hmm. a member of the sheriff's office. Like, yeah, he had a little bit more leeway. And yes, he worked with schools and students and things. But to that same point, like I remember being in his office and him complaining about a wrestler using the handicap because he was like, I'm going to pull this kid's tag because he's no longer handicapped. It's just pissing me off. Like they have some, they have jurisdiction, but if they're... Mm-hmm. gauging when to use force with kids it's like are you do you need to be a police officer right yeah so there's there's quite a few things here i, I think yeah. that are in question there I think is no there's, answer we've got to try stuff and figure yep. it out right i think let's give this um restorative justice a try it unlike it, yeah 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 unlike healthcare we don't need to abandon everything and start over we need to just keep <laughs> adding on to it and if it doesn't work like take some of it away and yeah, add, put totally. more bandages on top like it's education we can just layer the tape on top of that no matter what it's not we just need to legitimately try though right i, yes. I think like why are we trying to repeal something that that didn't get uh you know do justice uh initially anyway 
uh, let's try it out and then let's evolve, right? Iterate on top of things and just kind of figure out where we go from there. Yes, exactly. So what broke my brain was, I'm going to just first preface with the quote and then really why I'm angry. But the quote that caught me was Mr. Chu and Mr. Chu is the CEO of TikTok. And this is the quote from the congressional hearing that he was in. I can't wait. And the quote is, Mr. Chu, does TikTok access the home Wi-Fi network? (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) You look so confused. And I've said this, I've said this time and time again, and I don't quite understand it, but (laughs) we are in a, we are in the 21st century and we are advancing very rapidly. And there are reports every single day from prominent, not only just tech minds, but in intellectual minds themselves saying, we need to put a pause on artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is going far too far. And I'm not even going to get into that conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like technology is advancing at a rate that we cannot fathom as a normal society. And we have people who do not understand how generate general apps work making the policies for our government and yet you uh, you wonder why instagram tiktok facebook all of these third party or all of these applications just have this horrible third party tracking and advertising and like just oh yeah we're gonna just take everything sell it buy it like and no one's saying anything because our government thinks well i mean does it even access my internet like <laughs> Does the app really, like, work on my Wi-Fi, or does it only work on, like, the, the telephone itself? Like, I'm, I'm confused. And it's like, no, 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 this is an app that is literally harvesting your child's data, giving them an algorithm that's training them to do X, Y, or Z. There are multiple, like, reports from colleges, from independent studies, from third parties saying all of this. There are leaked documents from these companies themselves where they did the internal studies, and they know that they're doing this. And yet our government's like, well, I mean, Mr. Mr. Zuckerberg, can you tell me why my Gmail isn't logging in? It's like, yo, if you are going to grill the creator of or the head of this app, at least do your homework, number one. Okay, at least do your homework. It's beyond just doing their homework because these... They don't understand technology. Yeah, these are questions that... This happens time and time again. Literally, yes. Mark Zuckerberg was asked why Twitter was doing something. Like, st- <laughs> straight up, he- I I want... Okay, so this is, <laughs> this is the internal part of me that, like, wants to assume positive intent. So my, my thought is, like, this congressman, whoever he was, he was probably like on the phone with his son. My father looked older than him. I just want to say that. <laughs> He's probably and on like the my phone. My father looks young. I just want to say that. Like okay. my father looks good for his age. He, he probably called his kid and was like, "Hey, I'm going to grill the the head of TikTok tomorrow. Like, what should I ask him?" And I legit wonder if they just were like, I'm going to troll dad and I'm going to tell him to ask whether it connects to Wi-Fi. But- no, because trolling dad <laughs> would be getting him to ask about like, 
Nicki Minaj or like, I don't even know if she's still on the app because this is so far removed, but like the Charlie Delimero like kid who was doing all the like crazy dances and got famous from the thing, like asking some weird question about them or like making it, making your dad look like funny, stupid, I think would be a (laughs) hundred times better than making him look like a legitimate moron. That's all I'm like, I, I don't think it's some, I think they are legitimately this ignorant and that might come from my day-to-day job where I interface with a lot of public people in a similar manner. But like, I, I don't, it's. Yeah. Just don't go in there guns blazing about something you know nothing about. Clearly. Like it's, it's a bad move. It it doesn't look good. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, it it broke my brain. It was painful. That's a brain breaker for sure. That's a good one. Okay. So mine is, uh, It's about this whole mayor tracking situation. So for listeners who don't know, last year, I think like November, December, maybe it was a little before that, our mayor, Hillary Sheevy, was having her car serviced and a mechanic found a tracking device on her car, okay? It turns out that a private investigator, David McNeely, he was hired to track her, and he's the one who placed it on her car, uh, and apparently a, a couple others as well. But right now, I'm just focusing on Hillary. The the PI, or the private investigator, he's refusing to reveal his client's name who hired him to track her, saying it's confidential information that would harm his business to turn over. And I mean, you just kind of confess to stalking a mayor. So I don't know why you're still worried about your reputation because it's probably terrible already. Anyway, Shivi is claiming her right to privacy was violated. Duh, I agree. And she wants to file a civil lawsuit against whoever hired this PI. And then an additional note is that this happened... During her campaign, her last campaign, is when this was all going on. So it was clearly somebody who was likely politically motivated uh, to to get some dirt on her. So I learned, because I did some research, I'm like, how is this okay? How have they just not forced him to name this person yet? And apparently Nevada has a revised statute 179.451, that permits the use of tracking, a tracking device to track the movement of a person or object. So my question is, how is this okay? I get that she's a public figure. She chose to run for office. But for any other person, uncovering a stalker would probably be pretty critical information. So the court recently, they recommended that the judge insist the client info is revealed. And then the PI, he filed an appeal day before that this was supposed to happen. And his objection was that the relationship between private investigators and their clients are fundamentally different than with other businesses. And that's because of the level of secrecy expected. So citing cases from other businesses does not apply here. This was his reasoning, okay? It's bonkers. So here's my question. At what point is it okay to infringe upon the privacy of a person to track them but not okay to expose the identity of the person doing the tracking. 
this this is what breaks my brain. Both are claiming a right to privacy. Why is one more privileged than the other when one is potentially more risk than the other? So I, I have no answer, but the only <laughs> things I want to say is that first, in relation to this story, uh, personally, two cars have already been searched. And and that that's personally, not like a... Oh yeah, yeah. We gotta like I've searched two cars already in relation oh, right. to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and second, I can explain why he's trying to make these claims. Not that I agree with them, but his business will be ruined because of the client that will be exposed, mm-hmm. as well as the fact of like, oh yeah, he is breaking client privilege. I'm because I don't know what client privilege it would be. Yes, that might ex- th- that might exist in some industries. I don't think it, I think it exists in PI industry. I couldn't Regardless, find it if it does. It might cause some reputation taint to his business, but overall, I guarantee you it's the client that hired him that will actually taint his business because yep. so few people will want to work with him after because he worked with who he did. Mm-hmm. That's kind of in the article, but that's because the person who he doesn't want to release got released by the other guy through other reports and things. But yeah, I'm not going to get into this one too much because it hits a little bit too close to home. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, yeah. We were both excited and we, we wanted to find one. We couldn't, <laughs> we were bummed. The, but, I, yeah. I, I guess weren't they kidding. weren't that important. <laughs> but Okay. Or 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 some named people in the article are just too cheap to investigate his opponent. <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> sorry. 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 Okay, so here's what I learned in just reviewing all these bills, which was kind of fun, right? As we were talking about the wrap up of these um, introductory session of bills. This case actually inspired a bill to make the secret deployment of GPS trackers on people's vehicles illegal. Um, because apparently it's not, which is kind of crazy to me. I don't see why we don't just make that happen. I don't think somebody else should be able to have the ability to track my physical location unless I give them permission. So it's my own thought. Yep. I support that bill 100%. All right. That's all I got. I think that's it, Tim. Thank you all for listening to this week's podcast. We talked about some bills. We talked about some education. I hope we educated you on some bills and some education. Come back next week. Hear us next week. Please subscribe. Rate us. Bye. Bye.